Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I will let my children go. Absolutely not if I felt that they weren't safe. Businesses are suffering all over the place. Surely an energy director has to look at these price rises and say, are these justified? You take the kids, we'll take the bags. The kindness in her words, you know, I felt the tears flow. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 996. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Morning. Uh, she's been a guest on the program and a contributor to the program I don't know how many times over the last number of years I had to smile yesterday though when I saw the news come up on my phone reminded of a conversation that I had with a, a tally person at the election count back in 2020 uh, where somewhere into the second tally down in Cork Southwest, they were whispering keep an eye on Holly Kearns, keep an eye on Holly Kearns and sure enough, keep an eye on Holly Kearns because she took the last seat there and also, do you remember back in the last local elections where everybody said, you won Holly Kearns down to West Cork there'll be trouble there, there'll be trouble there she kept us waiting for a week before being confirmed as the last local election winner in the country in the whole country she was one the last seat you can't take your eyes off the woman for a second hopefully we get a chance to speak with her during the course of the week as she becomes the youngest party leader I, I think I could in modern times certainly the youngest party leader in modern times uh, just going on 33 uh, but the second party leader will now have from Cork uh, she would be on on Wednesday it was, it was just I, I kind of figured out that she was going to be going forward but I thought she'd have to face competition anyway good luck to her and all belong to her and as I said we'll catch up with uh, with Holly Kearns at some point in the course of the week I also want to know if anybody can tell me I also want to know why nobody was brought up on charges of criminal damage on Saturday afternoon um, do you want to know why I'll let you hold on that one for for a first for a, a few minutes at least. Good morning. What a beautiful Monday morning. What a stunning Monday morning. I got the bus in this morning. Lovely morning. Nice, nice and bright. Nice and bright this morning. Quarter past to twenty past seven, and and lovely to see it. But the stories of the newspapers on Sundays. There's always a bizarre story or two in there. There's always a very odd story. Do you know? Like it's what we call it in this business. Uh, do you hear that, Mary? Story. Or did you see that, Tom? 
story. You know those kind of ones? This is certainly one. She used to work for Bernard Allen, this woman. Her name is Marina Solagub. She's 39. Uh, she's Russian. She grew up in Cork. And according to the Times, she has been, the Sunday Times, she has been thrown out or is on the point of being thrown out of Australia as a security risk. John Mooney is following this with the Sunday Times. John, what this, what is this? The strangest story of the weekend. Good morning. So uh, Russia's internal uh, security service identified this woman uh, some time ago as a potential threat to what they regard as their national security. And uh, this woman's name is Marina Soligob. As you said, she grew up in Glanmar, to the best of my knowledge, and uh, initially worked for uh, uh, Bernard Allen. Uh, she may have also done some work experience for another Labour Party TD from the Midlands. Um, she then uh, sort of got involved in space work and had joined uh, the National Space Centre in Cork. Mm-hmm. Initially, I understand, as a translator, but possibly would have got involved in various business efforts uh, with that particular institution uh, subsequent to that. So she she was involved in lots of different things. She would have been involved in um I suppose, submitting what I understand as tenders or handling projects that involved the EU space agency Mm. and also uh, would have handled uh, material that was being submitted to NASA, plus also uh, the Russian space agency Roscosmos. So she then subsequently left that and uh, moved to Australia um, under what's known as a special talent visa and had got involved in uh, sort of very space projects over there. And it was so that she moved there, I understand, in February 2020. And but subsequent to that, she was became drawn or she, she became known, I suppose, or the Australian security services developed an interest in her. And that finally culminated uh, in uh, sort of just explained the way these things work is that when a security service becomes interested in someone, they usually start doing very deep dives into them. Mm. So I would imagine what that would have evolved is various types of possible intrusive surveillance and um, plus assessments and liaison work with other intelligence services around the world. But whatever occurred as a result of that, um, they last week asked uh, Miss Soligov to leave Australia yeah. on the basis that her visa was being rescinded as she posed a potential threat, either direct or indirect threat to Australia's national security. Are you aware, John, or is anybody aware what piqued their interest in her? I, I well, there's a number of different things going on. Australia has, in recent months, uh, been involved in counterintelligence efforts, um, whereby uh, there's various intelligence officers uh, operating from uh, embassies with Russian embassies within Australia. So this happens right across the world. It's, it's not unique to Australia. Um, we'd four Russian diplomats expelled from Ireland last year. Um, th- these war members, uh, well, at least one of them was a senior figure within uh, Russian military intelligence who was involved in running uh, intelligence operations in this country. So it, th- there's 
Australia has been involved in quite a significant counterintelligence operation of recently and has expelled a number of diplomats on the basis that they are actually um, intelligence officers working undercover from their embassies. So she appears to have been identified during that operation. But but I do think it's important to say that she hasn't been charged or convicted with any yes, offence. just has to leave. Uh, yeah, it, it they have they have to, they have cited her uh, this particular legislation they operate on that they're removing her visa because she fits into this demographic and they regard her as a security risk. Sure. Um, but but she hasn't been convicted, and I I we're not able to establish um, whether she's denying these allegations or is just deciding to leave. Have you been able to speak with her or get close to speaking to her, Jen? Uh, we haven't, unfortunately. We made strenuous efforts uh, last weekend to speak to her, but, but that that is proving um, very difficult. I think she may be, um, and this this is not an indication of guilt or anything like that. But sometimes in Australia, when you're being removed from the jurisdiction, um, they sometimes hold people in detention. I'm not; it's not entirely clear whether okay. whether she is in some uh, detention facility pending her deportation. Yeah, we remember that with. Novak Djokovic that he was in and out of detention while they were trying to decide about his visa there last year yeah. For the, yeah. so her home place and I believe she still has family in, in Vanmire so we don't know where she is just now but she's been asked by the in the nicest possible terms by the Australian authorities to leave that is the case like I understand both her and her family are actually quite settled in Australia um, someone suggested to me that she had been in communication with companies involved in space exploration and some of these people um, in that world would be former military or yeah. former defence uh, department officials and had suggested to them that she had high level contacts in Russia and I think that's what may have led to um, her being placed under investigation or under surveillance of yeah. some type. It was it in your piece I read that she got the job in the space centre down there in Glanmire, down there rather in Elfordstown. One of the reasons was her, her ability with languages and her ability with native Russian. Uh, and, and that was how she got that job. And then she she basically got more and more interested in, in it. And she eventually went, when she went to Australia first, she worked for Deloitte, wasn't it? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It would be interesting to see what happens with her. I know. Thank you, John. That's John Mooney of the Sunday Times. I know that um, Bernard Allen described him. He's long since retired now. Retired from politics. Um, Rang me. Actually, I think he rang me to wish me a happy Christmas. We spoke recently on the telephone. Um, But Bernard described himself over the weekend being absolutely gobsmacked at knowing this. Absolutely gobsmacked at hearing about what the the uh, situation was going to Marina Solagob. Instantly know where she is. I'd love to talk to her. I'd love to talk to her. If she eventually does come back to Glanmore, I'd love to speak with her. 0818 96 96 96. There was a big night down at the Radisson at the weekend where the Cork Business Association had their annual awards night. Two big winners on the night was the Trigon Hotels Group. What a fantastic organisation. And the Routy Foodie from the English market. They were two of the big winners. The Trigon won the Large Business of the Year award and... The Rutty Foodie won, and also, can I congratulate my, my my good my good friends at Barry's in Douglas, who won the pub of the year at the Cork Business Association. Where I'm not going to go through the full list; it was a long, detailed list, but they're the ones that come to mind. Good morning, oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. I'm just yeah, the criminal damage. Why 
was nobody held up on criminal damage charges over this. What on earth was going on? I was watching the match on Saturday afternoon. And the band were playing it as a slow march. The lads were trying to sing it at the normal speed. And then someone tried to catch up with the other. And the whole thing was... Why was no one arrested over that? Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Uh, what are you looking forward to for the summer? Get up to a bit of uh, maybe a bit of whale watching up around the north side or something. <laughs> <laughs> whale watching up the north side? <laughs> <laughs> I'll be shot, <laughs> just, oh, just standing there with no a pair really, of binoculars. There's, there's no body of water. Like, <laughs> not they've beached. Up around the water tower. The whole north side is going to be afraid Linda loses today. <laughs> we all know she's going to be a penny, isn't it? <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning. You can now order your 231 electric Skoda Enyaq from No DC Cars. Skoda Sales Dealer of the Year. Exclusively Skoda in the City. Courts 96 FM. We're talking about scams on this program and the number of them that are going around would frighten you. There's a great article in the Times recently, the Irish Times, about eight or nine specific scams that are running at the moment. And just last week, we heard about another one involving Revolut and where a chap had had three grand taken out of his account. Now, it had been recognised as a scam and he was going to get his money back. But a lot of people are getting caught every day. And you really can't trust anything or anyone that you see anywhere online these days. And some of them are the most feasible, credible looking things that you ever saw. You will have noticed that KC in here telling me about this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, there was a, a, a scam going around in connection with us where people were getting posts and messages purporting to come from 96FM that you'd won this competition or that competition or that you'd won something with the, the lads in the morning um, and you were a winner and contact the radio station and loads of people then started contacting us legitimately us to say, well, fellas, where's my prize? I won five grand or I won a telly or I won a PlayStation. Well, no, you didn't. It's a racket. It's a scam. Um, Ronan Murphy of Smart Tech 24-7 joins me. Ronan, we are plagued with scams. You can trust nobody, but it hit kind of close to home here. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, I mean, you know what? I, I I've been reflecting on on the scale and the velocity of these scams that are taking place, and I think the psychology that that's behind them is that uh, the prolific use of social media. Now, people get an endorphin rush from you know uh, getting likes and so forth on the content, and I think people are looking for almost you know instant gratification on with social media and therefore they tend to click and they tend to engage very quickly without actually thinking about the you know the potential consequences of clicking on the link and that's why 
it's so these uh, these scammers are so successful. A lot of people would say to me, you know, this cyber security issue, but it's actually not a cyber security issue at all. These are nearly every one of these scams, whether it's Revolut or it's Facebook or it's Twitter or it's Instagram. Mm. It's it's opportunism at its best by targeting individuals to click on the link, and once you click on that link. Typically, the consequences are the same. You either lose money or you lose access to your to, to your social media account, which is uh, which is problematic because there's just more of these every day, every week. Um, and while they look different on the outside, in essence, the the anatomy of every one of them is is pretty much identical. I would say. I mean, I have my telephone in my hand here, Ronan, and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking. Remember when I got my first mobile phone? It was just that. It's a phone. Now I'm carrying my office, my bank account, everything in this little square oh, yeah. in my hand. And it's so easy to get at if I'm not on, on a close watch all the time. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, again, right, I mean, you have to caveat that too. I mean, if you've set up your accounts correctly and if you've implemented the proper controls like, you know, proper passwords and two-factor authentication, and if you're clever about the security settings on your device, for the most part, I mean, they're very, very, very safe. Mm. Uh, Where they become extremely dangerous is where you haven't implemented, you know, good password hygiene, you haven't updated software on your phone, you click on links without thinking about the potential consequences of that. That's where it becomes a real problem for people. And some of the some of the consequences of this, I mean, you know, you, you talked about that gentleman who lost money on Revolut. I've seen far worse horror stories come out of this um, as a result of people getting scammed, everything from sextortion to blackmail to, you know, it just goes on and on and on. So, you know, it, it, you have to be extremely cautious. Yeah, that two-factor authentication is a pain in the neck, but but you can see its effectiveness. Come back to the one that targeted us a little while ago, and KC was in telling me about it, because they really, their show was the target of it. Messages that would arrive in your normal messenger, your Facebook messenger, for example, saying that you had won a telly on 96FM. We weren't even giving away tellies, but it looked so authentic. You would then click on the link. Like, what do what control over that do businesses have, if any? The, the, the only control they have is educating their employees uh, to be careful of, of what they click on. The, the human being is the weakest link in all of this. Um, what typically happens, so what, what the modus operandi of these guys, right, it may be once they click on that link, they'll get access to their um, account, their Facebook account or whatever social media platform they're using. But more importantly, they'll get contact, to, they'll get the list of all of their contacts. So it's, it's, a, it's a very bountiful hunting ground in terms of getting access to a high number of people. And once, for example, BJ, if you can imagine um, someone as high profile as yourself, if you send out a Facebook message to everyone in your contact saying, hi, guys, can you click on this link? You'll possibly get thousands of people to click on that link. And then you've you've thousands of more people compromised in, in, in and, and the same thing will happen with them. All of their contacts will get a similar link. And depending on the, the what it is that the, the scammers want to achieve from that, they suddenly have hundreds, if not thousands of people uh, caught up in this, um, this scam. So it, you can see how problematic it is and how quickly it can gather momentum. 
Yeah. Your company monitors all of this for businesses and when someone lends in trouble, you get in there and try to fix it. I, were you involved recently with the MTU attack, Ronan? No, MTU are not one of our clients, but okay. we, I mean, we have a lot of, a lot of the big universities in, in Ireland and in, in Europe and in North America. So, um, thankfully none of our universities have been a victim of it, but that was a ransomware attack. It was the same as what happened to the health service executive. Yes. Uh, it was r- Russian based. Um, it's problematic for them because not only does it deny access to the systems, it also, uh, takes data and that data then has the same downstream effect of what we just spoke about where once they have your information they find other ways to try and monetize that and to uh, target the victims whose information that they have. And I know they're not your clients but the, on, on the sort of concept in, in general like how is it how easy is it Roman for something like that to get into an organization like 96FM part of a much bigger organization than just us here. How, how easy is it for a Russian troublemaker so, to get in? So, so firstly, every, everything, everyone, anywhere is always hackable, right? So um, I have great sympathy for MTU and the predicament they find themselves in. Um, it, it is easy. It is easy if they are persistent enough and if all of the adequate controls are not in place, it is easy. Because remember, these guys have complete um, protection from the Russian state. They have an iron curtain between them and the law enforcement in the West. And they have hundreds, if not thousands of people doing this 24 hours a day, seven days a week, hammering out emails. All you need is one individual to click on an email. Once they click on that email, they give the initial access to these guys and they've got all of the time in the world, all of the resources in the world to then figure out how to navigate their way around the network, steal the data, encrypt the systems and create a world of pain for the target victim. Someone like you ask me, PJ, what if you ask me what keeps me awake at night, that's it. what I've just described to you is what keeps me awake at night. Okay. Someone likened it on a, a British discussion I was listening to, Ronan. Someone likened these attacks to do you know the the liquid, the silvery guy in Terminator and the Terminator movies? He could turn into anything he wanted. They likened yeah. it to that. You just have to let him in and he'll take over everything in seconds. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that's necessarily true. In so far as depending if a company has a good security policy and setup in place, yeah. you can make it eminently harder for these guys. And there's so I often use this. I probably use this on your show many times, but I use the analogy. If you're with someone and you're being chased by a bear, you don't have to be faster than the bear. You just need to be faster than the guy you're with because the, the bear will catch him and eat him, right? Yes. If you're a, univer- if you're a university or if you're a, a, a medium-sized business, there's so many others out there who haven't done this properly that the Russians or whoever else it is will go after those uh, potential victims instead if there's too much effort involved in, in, in compromising you because there's, there's literally tens of millions of potential victims out there. So just be better than the guy next to you, right? Be faster than the fella that the bear's chasing and your chances of, of not getting hit are, are better. But at the same time, it, it is it is um, like last over the last two weeks, Europe has seen thousands of these attacks similar to MTU. We only hear about the high profile ones that are in the public eye. Yes. But below the surface there's so many happening you 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 couldn't believe it. I came across something recently, Ron, and I was outlining it here on the programme. You know that you're constantly told that your bank or your building society or your lender or anybody will never text you about something. 
Um, well, yeah. they do, actually, as I discovered. They do, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I went to subscribe to a newsletter, and because it was in Spain, I got a text from the bank at one o'clock in the morning saying, is this, it was only 30 quid, is this genuinely your transaction? I didn't touch you it. Respond, yes or no. Yeah, yeah, but I didn't touch it because I thought this is another scam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I, yeah, then I, I end up that. locked out of my card. Like, there's got to be an yeah. easier way than that. Yeah, it's an oxymoron, right? We'll never communicate with you. Did you make this transaction, yes or no? Yeah, um, yeah I know. I've, I've, I've thought about that many times. Um, yeah, look, I, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's a tough, bloody environment because every time they bring in new controls, I mean, the headache of two-factor authentication on your card, especially I travel a lot, it's an absolute nightmare. Um, and every time they bring in new controls, these guys find new ways to innovate. They find new ways to attack. So it's a, it's an ever-moving feast, I would say. And the more controls they bring in, like you said it yourself a moment ago, PJ, you know, all this two-factor authentication, all these passwords is a nightmare. But that's just the way it is. Yeah, you cannot actually go anywhere without your phone now. Because even if you try to buy a sim- something as simple as trying to buy something online from work, you'll need your phone to verify. Which is oh, no yeah, bad thing. I mean, Pain in the ass, but it's no bad thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's your whole life, isn't it, right? Yeah. yeah. Advice for people, Ronan, in, 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 in one or two minutes. Can we, how can someone protect themselves? The ordinary Joe or Mary, how can they protect themselves? Delete your social media. <laughs> no, I, I would say, I would say, I would say, you know, look, it's the same advice I always give PJ. Um, if you're an individual, this isn't, this isn't cybercrime. These are everyday scams where they prey on people's vulnerabilities. They prey on people's, um, endorphin chasing buzz that they get from their, from their tweets or their Facebook. Um, so, you know, just be careful about what you click on. Think twice. If it looks too good to be true, then it more than likely is. Mm. And just be real about the potential for the damage it can cause you if you should click on those links. And it can be quite damaging. I mean, you know, the gentleman you spoke about earlier got his refund on his Revolut. Yeah. But as I said, I've seen scenarios that are far, far worse than that in terms of how they compromise uh, individuals. Is it a fair observation that if it's really easy to buy something or click on something or give that guy 395 if it's really easy step back there's a reason a hundred percent yeah hundred percent and you know what actually I, I i'd like to give you know a bit of advice as well in terms of there is far more sinister uh scams happening uh, particularly targeting um students from money muling where you know people people are asking them to put money into their bank account and you know put 10 grand into your bank account and just transfer it to this other account we'll give you 2000 euros money muling is becoming a huge problem for students and the uh targeting students rather and the implications of that are a criminal conviction so that's that's really worrying how you're seeing organized how does that work Roland? so i get a message how does it work your student you're, you're a student, you're broke, you're looking for funds for Rag Week and someone contacts you, asks you to transfer, that. can they transfer €5,000 into your account and all you have to do is transfer it back out to another account and you get to keep it housed. Very simple, very clean. Um, but in fact, what they're doing is they're washing money for organised crime. So money muling has become a problem targeting students mm. uh, in, in Ireland and or indeed across Europe. And you do That's genuinely get that €1,000, but it's a criminal offence. 
Oh, absolutely. But you're washing, you're washing the money for organized crime, right? Yes. So that you just need to be very conscious of that. And that's a criminal offense, right? And once you're in, you're in. I mean, you know, these guys, these guys have you then and you, you need to be extremely careful of that. I believe there's, there's, there's actually convictions coming, um, at students in Ireland as, as we speak. Really? Who've been, who've been caught, who've been caught doing this. Yes. So that's again, right? It's back to the same thesis. If it feels like it's too good to be true, then it is. Right. So no matter if someone offers you 10,000 euros to, to, to put money through your account, don't do it because the banks can pick this up. Remember, they've got systems and algorithms running. So if they see unusual behavior in an account with money coming in and money going out, you're going to get caught and you're going to get a criminal conviction for money laundering or money washing. Um, the second thing is obviously uh, one that's, that, that, that's really um, damaging for individuals is a lot of this kind of sextortion and yes. online dating and people just need be really careful of that and really careful of what they expose online especially you know the younger generation because they're so digitally minded but in many cases uh, they find themselves in compromising position and the level of extortion that uh, results in that is is, is incredible Alright, Ronan thank you as always Ronan Murphy of Smartech 24-7 penetration testing and security best in the business that man and his colleagues money muling, I don't know if it's a new one on you, I had heard about it but I hadn't had it explained to me uh, and sextortion. I actually just finished watching the second season of Happy Valley. Brilliant television show. Just wonderful television show. But there's a, a sextortion line or a sextortion, a sextortion plot line runs through that where a cop is sextorted. And it's actually brilliant how they work it. It turns out that the person who was doing this, it wasn't her first rodeo. As it were. 0818969696. But watch for that one. Money muling. Particularly young students who might be listening to me. Bit, you're a bit stuck for cash. Someone offers you a thousand euro to transfer five thousand euro from your account to another account. So they say, listen, I'll drop five grand in your account. Let it there overnight and then dump it to this account. There'll be a thousand for you. Don't. Do no 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 no! Don't do it. That's money muling. You'll end up with a criminal a criminal conviction, and they will catch you. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six on the Ireland's call thing. Oh yeah, I mean, come on, like here we go, like oh. It sounded actually like it sounded like either the band or the players, and of course we know neither of them were. But it sounded like they were all pissed. Kate says I nearly died laughing. It's all you could do. It didn't even sound in tune or on key. No, it didn't. It sure didn't. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. This one happens when you get a message to say, "Did you pay through your Revolut seventy euro, eighty euro, a hundred euro? Is this your transaction? Please confirm through the Revolut app." When you go into the Revolut app, that's when the scam starts. So someone's managed to get in and hack you through the very legitimate-looking Revolut app. Connor Pope has all the details in the Irish Times today. It's scary as hell. They've been talking to some guy called Peter who lost several thousand, and he watched the money go down and down and down and down. And it was all happening while he was apparently in contact with the Revolut app to make a complaint about a scam. 
scary stuff. 0818969696. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The Cork's 96FM Giving for Living Radiothon returns May 25th to 27th to raise funds for Cork Cancer Services. You make me feel Every year we speak to people touched by cancer. So if you've got a story to tell, we'd love you to get in touch. Simply email radiothon at 96fm.ie to find out more. The Giving for Living Radiothon, supporting Cork Cancer Services, May 25th to 27th. You make you make me feel only on Cork's 96FM. Someone giving out to me on Twitter for talking about the season two of Happy Valley and the sextortion plot. Trust me, I'm not revealing anything. It's just a bit of the show. There's so much in that show that revealing one little bit will tell you nothing about the rest of it. 0818 96 96 96. Now, the anniversary passed at the weekend was Friday of the Russian, I mentioned mentioned it here Friday morning, of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And there was an event in town on Friday evening, which was very well attended, and rightly so, very well attended, a demo in support of Ukraine. And our reporter Maureen was there. Uh, She spoke to Paula, who was about to see her doctor on the day the war started. And she began by asking Paula where she was from in Ukraine. Kiev, not far from the airport, 24th of February, 5 o'clock am. The sky was red, so I was thinking like maybe some accident happened. We saw it, a lot of soldiers' cars and we understood that, okay, it's not, it's not just the big accident, it's huge attack. And we understood that it's dangerous to stay, unfortunately. And who had possibility to leave Kiev? Of course they did. So it's been already one year, we're not at home. And in that day, I was expecting the baby. I had an appointment and I called the doctor. Perhaps we're not meeting today. And so tell me when baby was born. She was born here in September and she has named Arina Vaselina. Arishka. How welcome have you been made to feel in Ireland, in Cork? It's amazing people, like, we knew it about the Irish culture through the TV. We have in Kiev very very popular Irish pub, Irish dancing school. We knew it that, oh, it's colorful culture. And I never was thinking that I will come like this way to visit Ireland. Yeah, I know that pub she's talking about. It was in Kiev after a long time ago now. It's 20 years ago with, with a Cork City away match. Happy memories, actually. Happy memories of that of that trip. Nadia Dobrianska has been writing about this. And you, how long are you here now? You came here very early on, did you, Nadia? Good morning. Morning. I I did. I came in mid March this time. I had been living in Belfast for a year and a half before, and then I was in Ukraine during the invasion. So it's my second time around here, and it's almost been a year. Yeah, you've almost got the accent, you know. <laughs> so talk to me about the memories of the past year what's it been like Uh, nothing great to report to be honest it's been it's been a grueling year um, evacuating my family from Ukraine and minding them here 
uh, I brought my parents and brought my cousin's wife and her baby and my brother Scott to Ireland. And um, yeah, it was, you know, like not knowing when we can go home, when, um, when and where we're going to be living. Uh, my mother died over the summer during uh, because of, because of war related issues, and um, yeah, by now it's just me and father living here, and you know it's tough. Yes, your um, brother is still fighting. Is he? Well, uh, no. So he was in paramilitary forces in like territorial defense forces in Kiev. And when the Russians eventually had to retreat from the north, he his his service became uh, part time, and now they're changing everything in the service in the north. So he's he's home now, and I don't I'm not sure what's going to happen next. Mm. So I'm really really praying every day that he can stay safe and alive. You in contact with him? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Would would he be able to come here if he wanted to? No. No, because he he is well uh, a bodied man, so he he he's due to be to serve in the army any time when the state uh, summons him. So he's staying at home and helping in other ways so far. Yeah, I think at the time, Nadia, a lot of people looked at it and thought, "Well, this will be over in a few weeks." Um, it's now a year and I think it's fair to say no sign of an end to it. How does that make you feel? Well, I'm delighted that it didn't end in a, in a week or two or even in a month because it means that we're still safe, we're still alive and the state yes. you, the state of Ukraine is, is out there. And Are you suggesting that if it had ended in a couple of weeks it would have been, it would have been a Russian victory? Of course. Yeah, I don't. I, I mean, Ukraine. Ukraine didn't have any. Well, Ukraine didn't have enough fire to resist the full, all all out invasion on every direction, from mm-hmm. the north, from the south, from the east. So there was no way to to beat them. And uh, for now, it's hard to say. It's like the, all the the weapons that have been pledged to us, the the heavy weapons, are beginning to arrive. On one hand, that will secure, well, that will help Ukraine's counteroffensive this year, and hopefully, it con- will be successful. Yeah. Are you confident but, that your country will prevail, Nadia? I am. I am a hundred percent. The only things that I'm not confident is that this this is looking today as a pre um, like a beginning of something more. Mm-hmm. than just Ukraine-Russia war because today China is contemplating to step in yes. supplying Russia with arms and that, yeah, and I read, I read that, last that week that is terrifying yes, I read last week that China was offering to mediate and then I read that they're supplying arms to Russia are thinking about supplying then you wonder which is true it must be so, di- so terrifying for you Nadia to, to watch all this developing and be powerless from here and be so scared for your brother yeah it's not great i'm donating the money that the as i as a phd student have some of some of like small amounts that i can afford to 
to Ukrainian volunteers and to Ukrainian armed forces. But, well, it's it's like I'm, I'm a drop in the ocean and these oceans can wipe the Russians out altogether if we stand united. So that's good. That's that's empowering. But of course, Ukraine needs much more weapons than I can buy. I know. And um, yeah, we'll see how much our allies are ready to support us. Your people have been, for the most part, very warmly welcomed into Ireland. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the recent protests against refugees are terrifying me and the letters from the from the TDs and some senators that Ukraine should negotiate with Russia are not really making any reassuring gestures. But on the other hand, I know that this is these are like very marginal voices. Yeah. And the only thing about the protests, I, I really hope that whatever happens, that they will be deterred from escalating into violence, because it doesn't matter how many Irish people support Ukrainians and other refugees, if there is one person who can who will start assaults, uh, they have to be stopped before if they become the first. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's difficult here, you've got so many people who were close to retirement when they came. And their whole lives, their plan, their retirement plans just thrown up in the air. Younger people with families, that they're living with some of our families and that's fine. But you can't really develop your your life while you're living in another country. Some people might settle here. But of the people that you know, Nadia, that are here, do most people who came last March, April, do they eventually want to go home? Yes, to the well, to the best of my knowledge, yes. This because they, Ukraine is their home, and my home. Yeah. My father is seventy-one, and he is finding some sort of new normalcy, especially since my mother died, and they were together for most of their lives. And it's big change for him, but he's finding new friends, and he's busy with his project, oral history project that he started, interviewing refugees and deposing their interviews in Ukrainian national archives. So he's feeling he's he's busy, and he's being useful to his community so that's fantastic but it's it's difficult for everyone and it's difficult for him and well we're just waiting for some certainty with when when yeah. when we can go home and when it's safe the frightening statistic the very sad statistic that I read here when we opened the show Friday morning by mentioning the anniversary was 438 children killed in the course of the war it's that's that's the saddest line of all yeah and this is only the figures that we no. know of because the occupied uh, east and south we don't we have no clue how many people have been killed in mariupol like the figures are we can't really no, because they it's occupied and Russia is pulling down all the houses uh, with with the dead. That basically they the houses that they have shelled. So it's these figures. We 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 it, it's much worse, but we don't know how much. Yes. How are how how are you able to to follow the war? One thing we're always told, Nadia, during a war, the first victim is the truth, and and be very careful where you're getting your information from. How do you get your information from home that you know it's accurate? Uh, 
so the information that I'm uh, getting comes from Ukrainian media sources uh, because, well, they, they have foot, feet in the ground and they go and verify stories. And so it's Ukrainska Pravda, pravda.com.ua, uh, and they have an English language version finally, which is like the English is it's a bit Ukrainian, but it's very, it's like the stories are very as accurate as you can get. Um, also, there are new Ukrainian media have, that have been set up on the backdrop of the war or the, the Kiev Independent, for example. They they started like maybe a month or two before the invasion. And I used to work in Ukrainian human rights, so I really know that the these these media are real journalists going on, uh, working on the ground, interviewing victims, and pretty much international reporting. Uh, I have I have. I, I have had worked with different journalists from other countries. They they all rely on Ukrainian sources and Ukrainian fixers. So there is no, no no really such thing as some sort of independent, non biased reporting that is provided by BBC or some other media. It's basically them them just doing collaborating with Ukrainian journalists. Um, it's a tough time, and I, I think of you all frequently of what it must be like to run from your country and and to be trying to make it into a place like here where you are welcome. You and no matter how welcome you are made, it's it's still not your home, and it never will be. If we were to talk again, Nadia, in twelve months from now, in twenty twenty four, do you think there's a possibility you might be talking to me from Ukraine rather than from Ireland? Having been able to go back when the um, war is over. Yes, I think so. Well, in my case, I'm uh, I'm doing PhD in Irish history based well, in a university in London. Yes. So I would be around in any way, uh, no matter if I if I'd be able to go home and just be there with my family. Yes. But I do think that there is a great there there is a chance. But uh, there are so many factors that we can't account for because they still haven't stepped in, like the Chinese or the, on the other hand, maybe the stepped up uh, support for us with long range missiles and heli- and uh, airplanes and fighter jets so the, that we can actually expel Russians very quickly. So we don't we don't know yes. about them, but I do think that there is a good chance that if, if it comes to play, we can go home soon. That would be wonderful for you. You say, I, I was amazed to hear you say that, a PhD in Irish history. Can we just talk about that for a minute or two? How did you get interested in Irish history to the point that where you wanted to do a PhD in it? Well, I've always, I think since my teenage years, because of all the uh, roaring uh, Irish dance, uh, popularizing Irish culture, I got into Irish language and culture. So I've been learning Irish long before I came to Ireland. And I did my master's at Queen's University Belfast on the Belfast travels of the 1920s. And I continued uh, my uh, right up to the invasion, I was applying for a PhD in different universities, and I secured an offer f- just just before the invasion. Um, so I'm writing about the politics and public discourse sur- surrounding the Belfast pogrom of the 1920s, oh how gosh. it was seen in the south, in the north, in the British government, and in in Great Britain overall, and how it came to be known as a pogrom in the first place. That's fascinating and wonderful. 
to hear. Nadia, I wish you and all those connected to you and all those you know well. Um, and as, as you remain here, hoping that one day you can go home to Ukraine and that that day will come soon. Thank you very much. Nadia Dobrianska. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Cork's 96 FM Win a pair of Apple AirPods with Cork's 96FM. Just take our 10-minute music survey and you're in the draw. Tell us the tunes you'd listen to on repeat and what songs we should delete. Win your very own Apple AirPods. Give it a go right now. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or c96fm.ie The minds are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Parks 96 FM. The scams, yeah, that Revolut scam. Becky says she got a message for Revolut, but she doesn't have Revolut. So she blocked the number. Yeah, that's that's a lot of them out there. I keep getting these messages to tell me that there's something wrong with my permanent TSB credit card or my permanent TSB um, debit card. I don't have either of them. Well, I do have my mortgages with them, but I, I don't have a current account with them. I don't have a whatever. But I keep getting those those text messages. But as as Ronan was saying, that one of the big problems with the banks is that sometimes they do, as I discovered myself a few weeks back, they do quite legitimately text you about things. Your best bet, if you are in doubt, I suppose, about a text message you've got about your card, and did learn this when I had occasion to ring them, because what happened was, to go over it again, I got this message asking me, was this a legitimate transaction in my account? Yes or no? And I thought, right, scam, not happening. That was at night I got that. Morning time then they told me I hadn't answered their text, so my card was blocked and please contact the bank. And there's a number at the back of the card where you can ring them. And I got through to someone who was extremely helpful and sorted everything out for me in a matter of a, a couple of minutes. But I said to her afterwards, I said, how would I know? And she said, look, if you're ever in doubt about a message that you get purportedly from your bank. Ring that number. Ring the number you just rang now and that'll put you straight through and we'll be able to verify then whether it was genuine or not. Which I thought was a very good bit of advice. Terry's wondering the band at the match, did they learn Ireland's call from listening to it? Surely if they were given sheet music there'd have been things like time signature and tempo to tell them how to play it. Yeah, Terry, I got the impression they were playing it as a slow march or something. Yeah, it, they were they were way too slow. The lads tried to sing at the at the right pace, and then sure everyone lost contact with themselves. And it was just because on this on the pitch, when you're on the pitch, you're hearing a monitor that is behind anyway. So it's all a mess. It's all a mess. But <laughs> that was like that was that definitely was a case of of criminal damage. It really was. Like, come on.
I've heard less chaotic versions of Irish Call in the Dolphin Bar on a Saturday afternoon, so I have to tell that now. Dee says Happy Valley is one of the best shows you've ever watched. Absolutely, Dee. We're about three or four episodes, I think three episodes now, into the last series. And I don't know what we'll do. I got the whole lot down in one go. Another one that's brilliant, and people kind of knock this, and I think they knock it because it's on Irish television, it's on RTE and it's made by BBC for RTE and with them. Smother. Smother is just fantastic. It's in series three now and it'll be the last series. And I think we watched last night, watched episode three, episode four was on the telly last night. And of course, huge storyline now centering around Guard the Joe, uh, Ian Hardwick, Cork Lad. Smother's brilliant. Smother's just awesome. I think a lot of people have knocked it because of the Irishness of it. But it's in Ireland. It's in Ireland. It's set. It's actually set in La Hinch. The, the, the beach in it is La Hinch Beach. It's a stunning, stunning show. 0818 96 96 96. Those scams happening right, left, and centre. Did you see this in the paper this morning? This is great. Pennies. Right? <laughs> And if I saw this on the 1st of April, I'd have said, nah, nah, you're you're not going to catch me with that. Uh, Learning to sew on a button and repair your clothes in pennies. Uh, Primark, or Primark, pennies, global parent company, is rolling out workshops on the lost art of repair for customers across the country. This is from The Independent. There'll be one in Lippy Valley in Dublin, in April, then there'll be a master class, a master class, mind you, in Galway, Waterford, Limerick, Cork, and in Tala in Dublin. You can bring along your own clothes to pennies. I wonder whether you bought them there or not. And you can learn how to sew, how to do a button, sew a hem, take something in, fix a zip. And they'll all be hosted by Orla Kelly, who's a graduate in art and textile from the National College of Art and Design. Oh, and it has online tutorials as well. So, pennies. You can start repairing your clothes with lessons from pennies. You'd wonder, though, for some of the stuff you'd buy in pennies, this is why people love pennies so much, for some of the stuff you'd buy in pennies, should the needle and thread would probably cost you more than the shirt you want to fix. 0818 96 96 96. Now, I want to move on to something... Some, a conversation that it's time to have, according to Jackie. Now, Jackie is Jackie Furlong. She's a relationship and parent mentor. And she works in Middleton and she works in Turner's Cross. And Danielle was her daughter. Danielle died very young, very, very young. She died at the age of just 22. And up to then, she'd lived a happy, fruitful fulfilled life and she was in the process as many 22 year olds would be she was in the process of travelling the world and seeing the world for herself and she had a very close relationship with her mum but then she died in 2007 and for the 7 or 8 years after that Jackie went into a deep depression, ended up on medication and for 7 and a half years she just couldn't deal with it, she couldn't deal with the grief, she couldn't handle the grief she got through that and then last summer she completed a master's in the psychotherapy of relationship mentoring and her thesis was based on how we deal with grief 
Jackie believes, I think you do anyway, Jackie, Jackie believes that grief is something we need to learn from childhood as a life skill, almost. That we need to teach our children from as young as they are able to take it in. That grief will be part of their lives. Because we're not equipped, many, many of us are not equipped to deal with grief. Morning, Jackie. Good morning, PJ. And thank you for this, because I think this is a conversation that I think needs to be brought out now. And I think I'm ready for it, even though, yes, it's it's for 15 years now, maybe 16 years since my daughter passed away in 2007. She got a diagnosis of um, um, an aggressive cancer of the liver. And within five weeks, she was gone from us. She was only 22 at the time. I cannot comprehend in my mind how to handle that. And I didn't. I couldn't either, to be honest with you. And and the beauty of writing this thesis for me last summer was that it brought me back there, a place where I was not going. I was not going. But I knew I had to go there, PJ, because I was not living my life in a way that was making me happy. You know, I was struggling all the time. And even this was 14 years later. So the night my daughter passed away, I believe, and I said this in my thesis, that I went into a shutdown mode and I think many people would recognise that sentence. I went into completely shutdown mode. I believe I learned to do that from my past and I locked away, closed my heart and I believe my heart was already closed, to be honest, because I didn't know how to let these emotions in or out or up or down. It was so overwhelming that I shut down and I went into uh, I went into kind of what I say, <clears throat> put into sixth gear, put the foot down and just went on with life like nothing had happened. Let's go back a little bit to not when Danielle died, but when you knew she was going to die when you knew that the cancer was going to take her. That's where this starts, isn't it, Jackie? I think so. I think you're, you're spot on there, actually, now. because Now, I haven't gone there before now, Peter, so you're opening up an old wound here. <laughs> um, let me just think about that, because I think my daughter had been in Thailand for two weeks. She was supposed to be there for however long they go at that age, right? There were a gang of them going. So she had gone to Thailand sick, and I think there was a gut feeling in, in me, there, you know, that mother instinct. There was something more going on here than we were seeing. But again, we ignore that and we want to see our children happy. So off she went sick. And within two weeks, I had asked her, I had asked her that if she found herself going to the doctor and being in hospital to do not end up in hospital in Thailand, please come home. <laughs> and she did. She actually did. She came home within two weeks. And she stood at my door and when I opened the front door, um, what I saw was just, oh, she was emaciated. She had lost so much weight. Within the two weeks she was gone and she was very sick. And um, from the minute I got the phone call, she was coming home. I rang my doctor and by the time Danielle did get home, within two or three days, she was in the bonds. And I said, three days later, PJ. <laughs> Sorry. You're okay. You're okay. They told you. I'd say three days later, um, by the look and by the conversations we were having with the doctor, it had gone from the hope that the diagnosis was hepatitis C to um, a doctor telling us that, no, this is not that. 
And I'd say it was about, yeah, about three day, three or four days. Within that week, we heard the words, you, you, yeah, you need to contact uh, family abroad. Right. Um, um, that's where the basis of my thesis came, by the way. Those five weeks, it was so difficult. I could not deal with the emotions there. So you're right. You're, you're spot on. It started there in the hospital that I, I went into my control mode again. I went to the same way. I went to the same place that I went to the night she died. Back to where I knew how to cope, which was ignore everything, get into a controlling, managing place in my head and stay there. And I stood, I stayed there until seven years later. Let me pose another question to you. Yeah. D- did did she know her condition was terminal and did you talk about it before she died? No, no, PJ, it's... Uh... See, this is all part of, at the moment, my grieving process. And I think this is why I'm now able to reach out and talk about this and bring my story out there. Is because, And that's what's important, isn't it? That's what we're doing, you and I now. Yeah. We are talking about the most difficult thing that we need to talk about. And so it is my belief that... I don't think she knew she was going to die. Yeah. But I think that's a mom telling myself, I do not, I didn't want her to know that she was going to die. That's the way I'm looking at it now. That's the way I feel it now. I didn't have the conversation with her. It is a massive regret of mine that I wasn't able to have that conversation. When I say that out loud to myself now, I'm saying, what difference would it have made to me and to her had I had that conversation? I don't know, PJ. Mm. I don't know. I don't know. How do you have, how does a mom and daughter, a mom, a, a parent and a child have that conversation? I don't know. Even though, actually, my daughter was an adult. But in my eyes, she was my child. Agreed. Agreed. So I was still protecting her. And I think in protecting her, I was actually protecting myself because I couldn't go there. I sometimes think that people like Danielle and others, they know it in their own heart. I they do. I think we all know. Yeah. Yeah. When yeah. the time comes, we'll all know. I do I do think that. And I think <clears throat> possibly it's why she did have a peaceful passing. You know, um and I was with her. I was in the bed with her, she was in my arms, you know, and um yeah, and uh yeah. I'm sorry for asking those difficult questions, but the reason no, that I no. did ask them was where I want to take the conversation with you, Jackie, is, and it's mm. the study you've done, mm. grief and dealing with grief as a life oh. skill. It's yeah. one we don't teach. It's one we don't even want to learn. Yeah. But isn't it something that inevitably we should learn? That grief yeah. is real. It's going to come. It is, yeah. And grief is not just about, this is an important, an important statement. Grief is not just about the loss of a loved one. It's much more than that, you know, and it's, it's, it ties in with our suffering, you know, and we, we're all part of the suffering community. You know, it, suffering is part of our humanity, but we don't talk about it. We talk about living. We don't talk about dying, but they're connected, you know, and it's, it's through, it's through all our relationships from the second we're born that we that we need to start sharing this information. You know, um, it needs to be in our education. It needs to be in our homes. There's nothing wrong. But you see, the thing is, the thing is, you see, <laughs> is that we've come from um, 
I suppose, a strong culture that was dominated <clears throat> by, you know, our, our teachers, our priests, the Catholicism, you know, and we, we've come from that past and we, we're still bringing it with us. You know, that sense that we have to do it this way. We must do it that way. Mm. There's still a fear out there of letting out how we feel that, that we can't cope with it. That is not we're not going to fit in with society if we behave like that. Our anger, the the level of anger that's out there, PJ. And this is what brought me to you is is listening on the radio every day. It's getting more and more. You know this, the level of anger that's on our streets, that, mm. that's in our homes, yes. that's in our schools, you know, and we just need to find a new language around understanding that. And, and how do you link that? If you do, maybe I'm assuming you're doing it and you're not. How do you link that, Jackie, to grief? Because if we, if, um, of course, this is a big conversation, but to, put, to do it quickly, we'll say, I lose myself because that's the best way to do it, is when, when I struggled for the seven years following my daughter's passing, I was in a very depressed mode, right? I just was not living life honestly and openly. I was still bottling up, shoving away all those feelings. And it, it was manifesting in a way that I was always angry, frustrated, annoyed, you know, and that's what people on the outside around me were seeing, you know. Come back to the the learning process to pass on mm. to our children. This I'm particularly mm. interested in. So mm. if, if I was to ask every listener to sit down mm. and think of four or five people in their world whose passing they would struggle to handle. We'd all have that list. We have no idea because we don't learn how to deal with that passing. Yeah. When should we start to learn, Jackie, do you think? With yourself, you start now, right now. And it's not with the person who's lost somebody. It starts with yourself. Because if you can understand why it is that you find it difficult to approach somebody who's lost somebody, if you make that about why it is you're feeling that and on try and understand that. And the only way we can do that is by looking at our own story. Where, where in our story did we stop feeling or did we stop understanding what it means to be sad, to be angry, to be upset, to be depressed? Why, why are we like that? Why, why do I find it so hard when somebody across close to me is really broken and crying and you're feeling that or you're not feeling this because you, you don't know how to approach it? You know, people who, who can't, people who can sit with somebody who's really broken and crying and upset understands that level of suffering and can sit with them. But somebody who doesn't understand that level of suffering hasn't touched in with their own suffering. I think we're very good in in Ireland at mm. the funeral process and the oh, yeah. you know yeah. the <clears throat> the closest one to me that I can remember is, is my dad mm. in 2018 people mm. were amazing there mm. was no words for how good people were yeah. to us in that in yeah. that in that space yeah. but yeah. afterwards afterwards you're left to deal with it yourself is there a point Jackie where we kind of think well Jackie should be okay now it was months ago Yeah, I just want to say, when we go to a funeral, you see, a funeral is out there and a funeral is a place where you're allowed to cry. It's okay to show your feelings because it's expected almost. And it's a place where, okay, but sometimes for a lot of people, a funeral is a place and a wedding is one place where somebody who's holding back a lot of grief 
can actually grieve for, for those couple of hours and make it about the person who's died or the, or the person who's getting married. But that they're actually their own feelings of grief that's coming up, that's surfacing, you know, we touch into it. So, yes, when we leave the funeral and leave the person behind and we go about our own business and about our own lives, we're now stepping away from that. So now we have to go about our own way. And it's too difficult now to go walk back into it. But the hope is that the person who is suffering is okay now. But they're not. They're not. And don't not pick up the phone. You know, don't be afraid to call. Let's go and have a cup of coffee. You don't have to talk about the person who's died, but you can encourage, make a place, make it easy, make it easier for the person across from you who may now have an opportunity to speak about, uh, because I never wanted to stop talking about Danielle. Yeah, That's one thing I remember about no matter how sad I was or how upset or how much depth of grief I was in, Anyone who asked me, how are you? I would launch into talking about Danielle. Whoever would listen, I would talk about Danielle till the cows come home. Mm -hmm. But another person may not be able to do that. But that was just my way. And I think I was looking. I'm always a talker. (laughs) I like to talk. And I've always tried to express myself through talk. That's another way that I have managed my grief was by talking. It was a way for me to manage my grief, yeah. Rather than sit there and bawl crying for two hours, I much preferred to talk. But it was still a way of expression, as my writing is in my thesis. When Danielle comes into your mind, although she's probably never out of it realistically, but when she does come into your mind, there was a way in the past that you weren't able to deal with that. Now there is. What's the difference? The difference is, as you just said it there, Danielle's always in my head. You'll hear... Anyone who speaks about their lost loved one, they're always with me. But for me, she was always in my head. So the anger was stopping me from allowing her to come down into my heart, uh, stopping me from opening my heart to bring her in now. Let that anger go. You know, what should I have done? Berating myself for being a terrible parent. Terrible. Why? It's all my fault. But I'm able to let that go now. It never was your fault, but you just didn't know that. No, not at all. But sure, of course, it has to be when I can't look at the... It's easier to say it is my fault, right, and be angry than it is to say, than it is to hold that hurt and pain that I couldn't hold within myself as a result of her dying. The other difference, too, is when I talk about Danielle now, it's um, it's more about myself and how I am. The focus now has come off her as such. I can tell you what happened, but now I can talk about myself and where I am and, you know, and how I am and, yeah, and then share that. And then that opens up a conversation for the other person because now I'm open to hearing. You see, now I can listen to you and listen to somebody else's sad story or tragic story or trauma. So important, PJ, to have these conversations. And thank you. I really enjoyed it, actually, which is a bizarre thing to say about such a a, a difficult conversation. there you are, yeah. But I have enjoyed our chat. Thank you very much. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. You're welcome, Jackie. She has a lot to say about it. And we should start teaching children when they're small and teaching ourselves from now, from this moment, that the people who are around us that we love most, they're not always going to be there. And and how we how we deal with their passing is something we should possibly practice for a long time before it happens. It's a hard thing to practice for, but 
There you go. There's a new podcast called Conversations in Grief. It's a series um, set up and run by and for Anam Kara. We'll discuss that next. We're talking about grief and the opinion. If you have your own stories, if if Jackie's story resonates with you, if you've struggled with the with the passing of a loved one, be it sudden or be it expected, then maybe the Anam Carla podcast might be for you. Jackie, by the way, is a relationship mentor in counselling. Uh, she works out of Turner's Cross Community Centre and Middleton Holistic Centre. You can find out more and indeed, I believe, book sessions with her at her website, JackieForlong.com. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Yeah, just JackieForlong.com is, is her website. Um, and I'm just... Thinking back about my conversation with Jackie, I remember, uh, as I said in the course of talking to her, my own personal experience, the experience that's closest to me and most recent to me is my dad. And I remember... Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Being, learning something at that time. And every time anyone I know loses someone since, and whether it's somebody close or just somebody that was important to them, it's one thing I, I warn them about, and that is watch the exhaustion. I remember after, after Dad died, the funeral and the, doing the paperwork and all that old stuff that you have to do, I remember the exhaustion that hits you like a freight train. And I will never forget that. To the day I die myself, I'll never forget the level of exhaustion that I dealt with. Now, it passed in maybe a week, but by God was it exhaustion. Total mental and physical exhaustion. Uh, and that was the thing I warn people of when a loved one passes now. I say, look, take care of you and watch 
out for the exhaustion and the number of people have come back to me afterwards and said, well, you were right about the exhaustion. This series of podcasts um, from anamkara.ie called Conversations in Grief. Sam Whelan Corton is the, is the producer. Sam, where did the idea come from for it? Good morning. Good morning. Um, so Conversations in Grief um, is very aligned to the work of Anamkara themselves because they're an organisation, as they set up by bereaved parents to help themselves and all bereaved parents cope with this grief and, and loss and, and to journey on. So the series came about from they'd been doing meetings and developing resources you know, across the country for um, for many years. And a key thing in that is that sharing stories and parents hearing stories of other parents who might be a bit further along in their grief journey or parents just taking that moment to share themselves is a key thing and a key support for people to have that honest space to share and i suppose with the with the podcast series then was to take that and make it more accessible so we had a number of really um brave parents who put themselves forward to share you know in lots of different circumstances lots of different ages you know at different stages in their journey who wanted to share their own experience and reach more parents, I suppose, because there's parents across the country, many who don't have a chance to talk to others, you know, and maybe who aren't at the stage going to a meeting or, or reaching out for that support. So the podcast series was really a way of broadening things out to to take these stories, these these really important stories, and bring them to more people. Uh, I listened to a couple of episodes, uh, Sam, and one thing I'm learning from them I, I I think I would probably have recognised it anyway but there is no right way to grieve, there are no rules Absolutely and I think you know, it's, it's that commonality in, in hearing you know, as, in, as they lots of different circumstances lots of different kinds of loss and lots of people at different stages and there's absolutely no one right way to grieve it's kind of, everyone comes across it now People have that often have that thing of you know feeling like going mad you know and that they're sort of lost in their grief but they're you know that's that's part of it you know and there is you know and there's no guide there's no single guidance to how you do it I think something that the parents say themselves so many times is that whatever you're feeling is the right way to feel yeah. whatever is going through your head you have to kind of go with it and. And find your own path through it and find your own kind of way of connecting and, and being with the memory of your son, your daughter, your child. Because if you start thinking what I'm supposed to do, what is expected of me, you, you can take yourself into a dark space. You Today is today, tomorrow isn't even promised to us. And that's how you deal with it. Exactly. And I think, you know, and there was... Is, we're, we're preparing for releasing another few episodes um, coming up soon. And something that somebody was saying is that some days, you know, if you feel the need to put the, the duvet over your head and stay in bed, that's the that's the way to do it. Yes. Some days you want to go out and, and talk to your friend and, and find that right person to talk to. Or some days you go along to an animal care meeting. There's no one way to do it. And it is, you know, as in, you're the expert in your own grief in a lot of ways. You You know yourself... And you know, so no matter what the loss is, you have to kind of follow your instincts and your path on that journey. And I think there is that piece around 
you know, it's in finding ways to to find that bit of hope because, you know, it's in grief doesn't end. You know, I think um, uh, what a lot of people say is, you know, it's in the well-intentioned friends might be like, oh, you know, it's in time to move on or even in the harshest circumstances, are you not over it yet? Is something that really would break somebody's heart. But there is no end to that grief journey. However, your life kind of grows around it and it's finding those ways to to grow your life and grow the memory of of your child, your son, your daughter with you and, and, and you know, find that life for and with them. I'd be inclined to think, Sam, and maybe you've come across this in your experience, that someone who would say to another person, are you not over it yet, clearly has never been in that space and hopefully they never will be. No, that's the thing, exactly, because I think, you know, as in, uh, you know, as in, Different people will have a different experience of grief. Some people, not at all. And that's the thing. And I think with with losing a child, it's a very particular kind of grief yes. that people don't understand. And people have, you know, and I think most people have a good intention when, when, when interacting with um, parents who've lost a child. But, you know, sometimes they might actually try to avoid talking about them. You know, they don't want to bring up the, the loss. But... What I find is parents really want to talk about their yes. son, their wonderful son or daughter. And like, as in, when you listen to the series, like the vividness of, like, I feel like I know these children, these, these, these wonderful people that these parents have lost. I feel I know them now, having talked to the, to the wonderful parents who shared their stories, because they want to be asked, you know, mm. and they want to have the moment to talk about it. Now, sometimes it still can be hard. Like, some people will cry, people will laugh, people will do all sorts of things. But, you know, and it is the case of having mm. that moment to share and talk about well, it. I would co- compliment you on, on the way you did it, because you literally just said to them, talk, and you let them talk. Exactly. And uh, that comes from that, that ethos of Anamkara, which is, like I say, which, you know, and they've been, they were set up in 2008 and they've been creating these groups across the country now. And what they know from those meetings, which is really parents coming together and, and talking and sharing their stories. Some people sit in the room and just listen. They might not say a word. Mm. Some people will talk and share. And that's what I suppose we're learning is just, it's to have that chance to talk. I mean, you know, we all know it's like some talking is a powerful thing and getting out and no matter what your experience, but I think particularly when you're in those moments of grief and in those moments of loss, just to put some words around it and to be able to kind of, to say, and I say, like, as I say in the series, I say very little, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of, we wanted to create a good, safe space for the, for the, for the parents to talk, but they, they share and, like, they're so vibrant and they're, you know, and they talk and give advice to, to other parents. Each has their own unique perspective around what mm. they think might help or be a value to another parent. Um, and they're so good in sharing that because mm. that's what you need to hear. Particularly, I think we think about parents who might be in their early stages, where, you know, the first year, the first two years, the first four years, it can be, you know, it can be a black hole of, 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 of feelings. But there is, as I say, when you listen to the stories of others, there's moments to hear and get hope in that as well. Yeah. I want to talk to someone you have uh, spoken to. Um, and Colette and we'll do that after the break. I'm speaking with Sam Whelan Corton who is the producer of Conversations in Grief. It's a podcast series for Anamkara. Just before I go to the break 
I think we all know someone who has lost a loved one. And remember one woman in particular who I won't identify, but she'd lost a child when that child was only five years old. And the woman lived to be 78 or 79 years of age. But no conversation with her, none, was complete without a story about the little boy who had died. And it became part of any relationship you had with her. You could be talking about the weather or the price of fish in the English market, but a story would come in about the child that she'd lost. And that was how she, in her own way, dealt with that grief for the rest of her life. We'll talk to Colette in just a sec. 0818-96-96-96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. The Cork Diary. Cork's 96 FM. Cork Diary is a free service. So if you're a community group, a not-for-profit organisation, or you have a fundraising event, you would like mentioned, let us know and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email the details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie The Cork Diary with corksimon.ie because everyone who calls Cork home should have one. Cork's 96fm Join the conversation Email opinion at 96fm.ie This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96fm if you're interested in that podcast, Conversations in Grief, it'll be on any platform you want it, or you can go through anamcara.ie, that is their their website. Uh, she's not up there yet. We're going to talk to Colette Griffin from Cove in, in just a moment. Sam, was there any particular one that struck you? When you go through a series like this, were there particular things that struck you that you had no idea would come up when you began it? I think, um, like, some, we'd, we'd chatted and we talked and we'd kind of, you know, some, met with a number of the parents um, who've been involved and have been, you know, some volunteer parents with Adam Carr, for instance, for years. But I think um, what I was struck by was some of the kind of things, the common aspects of the stories. I think of, you know, some Mac who lost his young daughter um, and, you know, some the experiences, for instance, that, you know, some dads can grieve differently to mams and just the, you know the impacts on relationships and it's it's a very wide hitting it kind of your life changes you know yeah. as in, and i think that thing but your life is never the same again and that's a really hard thing to hear and i think what we try to do is be honest you know as in you know as in nobody in the group is going to sugarcoat it but there is that message that it will get better. And I think there's that piece where, you know, I think I was touching on it earlier, that all the parents talked about their life growing, or, you know, it's in growing their life around their grief. You know, the grief stays the same size, mm. but they find ways, and they find ways to bring their son daughter. I think about, like, some, you know, as in Mac, who, you know, as in did, you know, little Annabelle, who'd be putting the, 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 um, the star on the tree every Christmas, they find ways to incorporate the kind of you know, that tradition or writing her name on 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 the Christmas cards, you know, and signing them off from from uh, from all of the family who and the family still includes that you know, and I think yes. there's that question that comes up of how many children have you now. 
parents who've lost a child might answer that in different ways. But that is one of those things that that son or daughter is still very much part of that family, you know. And I think that I, I, I kind of had heard that before we started having these conversations. But the thing that really struck me from all of the parents and all the families that we talked to was just how true that was that you know, as in, I, you know, as in, I think of Kathleen who lost three of her of her children. You know, she lost them um, over a period of time, but they're still so with her. You know, she still has them in her life and in her family. And I think that's something that became really resonant. Just the the presence of of um, the memory and the different ways in which people connect to it, whether it be, you know, they might be volunteering as a way of kind of, you know, as in or fundraising or doing all these different things or or just going for their walks and keeping that memory with them. Mm. They all have their different ways of doing it, you know, um, whether that be, um, you know, some true celebrations of the life or just, you know, some taking the moment every day yeah. to um, to think about it. Well, like like I said very, before very the break clear. of that, that woman who lost a child when he was only five and she lived into her late 70s and no conversation was complete without a story. It could be 20 seconds, but no conversation in her life was complete without a story. That's how she dealt with it. You know, that's how she that's how she dealt with it and people were used to it. Let me bring in Colette at this stage. Colette Griffin is uh, from Cove. Sam, you've been part of the podcast um, with Sam, uh, Colette. And good morning to you. Um, morning. Talk to me. It was 10 years ago now that, that Sarah died. Um, tell me about her. It'll be 11 years now in April, unfortunately, yeah. yeah. Um, and they're just flying by. Just seems like yesterday, to be honest with you. Um, Sarah was 19 and in the prime of her life and loving it. And she was killed in a two-car collision just five minutes from home. Yeah. So it was very, very sudden. Um, there was drinking involved. The other driver had been drinking, but no blame. But it was a portion. There was no evidence to say what caused that crash. Right. But drink driving, to me, is... It's, that's the thing that brings the anger up in me and if I see anybody or hear of anybody drink driving I just pray they're caught before some, some other family suffers the devastation worth suffering but um, yeah she was she was a trainee hairdresser up at um, Origin there in the city and she was just loving life she had some beautiful friends she had a beautiful boyfriend whom I'm sure thought she was hard maintenance high maintenance at the time because she was for him but she loves them as well, you know. It's an incredible it's time life. of life, isn't it? Nineteen, yeah. Colette. They're they're Everything. not. They're they're still children, but they're not. Yeah. They're on that verge, and I yeah. cannot <laughs> comprehend what it must be like to lose her at that point. You know what? It's, uh, it's it's just the worst thing that can happen to any parent. I don't care. I lost my house in bad business moves. We never got a second house. Who cares? You know, we've had, I've been sick, Tom's been sick, Sarah's was the healthiest person alive. We lost my mum, I thought it was the worst thing that could ever happen to me. She died before, just before Sarah, two weeks after Sarah died was my mum's first anniversary. And she lived with us and we were devastated because she was Sarah's grandmother and she was her godmother at the same time. Sarah just adored her. And when my mum died, and to to the day I die, I'll believe my mum died. She had a chest infection. We got South Dock in the middle of the night. He said, she'll be okay. Gave her an injection and whatever, because she had a complaint. 
but she shouldn't have died. You know what I mean? She wasn't her time. And I'm convinced she died to be up there waiting for Sarah. I really am that she was... Yeah. It was all, it's all marked out for us. And I lived my life with that. Yeah. Sarah died the night before my mother's birthday. Oh, and I always remember my brother saying, I'd just come from the grave. I put flowers on Nan's grave. And I said, well, I put nothing on Nan's grave because we just call her Nan because of all the kids. Because she's after getting Sarah. Yeah. But you know what? Now, and I know it sounds probably sounds a bit daft, but mm. it gives me great um, peace of mind to know that my mother, Sarah, is with my mother. That's how you reconcile it. I do. I do. Because yeah. I think your day is marked out, my day is marked out. Nothing will avoid it. We might get second chances, and please God, anyone that does will grab it. Mm. But it's all marked out. Most of us only get the one shot at life. It's marked out for us. And you know that. I said the word reconcile, that that's how you fit it in to yeah. your head. Is, oh, it is. Is yeah. that, Colette, what has helped you to come to terms with, an awful word, I know, but come to... No, you're right. Yeah, we have to come to terms with it. If we hold on to the anger and all that, we won't live. And we must, we must remember our children lived. They didn't just die. My child lived, she loved life. Okay, I didn't love life for a little while after she died, but I do now again. And I live it for her. And I everything I do, every morning I say good morning to Sarah, my mother. At night I say good night. And every time in the day, no matter what, what's happening in my life, I'm talking to Sarah. Yeah. And it's like Sam said, if, if talking about them helps us so, so much. And it's not just, friends and you know family sometimes families can't talk to you about your child some of my members can others can't that's life but by going to Anamkara which Sam's talking about there who did those podcasts Anamkara I'm convinced Anamkara and the Irish Road Victims Association they've been my two they saved our lives myself and Tommy they saved our sanity because when we found um, Anamkara which Tom actually found a, a tour guide out in Blarney. Tom's a coach driver. And he heard about Sarah's death and he gave another driver some pins, Anamkara pins. Mm. And he said, will you give them to Tommy, the guy that comes out here on tours? The English lad was what he called him. Mm-hmm. And Tom came home to me with him and I, I told him where he could put them. <laughs> but he did the research himself and he got on and he arranged for him to meet a woman in Middleton. I wouldn't do it. So he didn't do it. Anne and Cara were on a break until September. Mm-hmm. But come September, we went to our first meeting. And that was the year Sarah died. And we're still attending them. And we would be lost without the support. Like Sam said, that's a safe haven. And it is it that, safe. Colette, everybody in that room, with you and with Tommy, that everybody in that room gets it? Well, every single person can put my shoes on and they'll walk the same road. Same journey, they'll feel the same pain. You can put my shoes on and you'll walk a different road. You can't buy that. They get it. They get it so much and more so the parents like myself and Tom have no surviving children. And Cara run a group for us as well. We meet a few times a year. And that's an even better group for us. And I know now that sounds awful. No. But sometimes I don't want to hear about your child's death or your grandchild's christening. Sure. I want to hear from the people who have no future, like we have no future, because our children are gone. Sure. 
you know, but there are so many parents out there who should just give Anne and Tara a try because I was one of them. I went for Tommy. Mm. And at the first meeting, I said, I won't be coming back here. Good luck. I was so sad. I know. But now, it actually, and I know this will sound a bit mental as well, but we do sound, we are a little bit done off our game as far well, as I'm well, concerned. Well, lo- losing your daughter at the age of 19 would set you on a bit mental, yeah. I would have thought. But <laughs> we, are, we, we can laugh at it like you can there now because we know they're up there, they're proud of what we're doing in their memory, they're proud of Anna Cara, Sharon Bard, the girls that started that, her daughter Rachel must be so proud because Anna Cara is helping so, so many. You can go for one meeting, you might go back for a year, you can go for five years, you might pack up for five years. Yeah. No questions asked, you can sit there. Uh, Sam, I'm laughing at Sam saying some people don't talk, that was my Tommy. He went to meetings for years and he didn't open his mouth. But every time we come out, we are physically and mentally drained. But we can't wait to go back then again. Because I looked at Valerie and Julie were the two coordinators when we started. And I looked at the two of them and I thought, you're here, you're doing a job to help others. Both your children are dead. And so if he can cope like that, I I will be able to as well. Yeah. And I follow on the people that I look ahead at. And I want other parents to look at me and Tommy the same way and realise, unfortunately, your life doesn't stop when your children die. No. It doesn't. It has to go on. But how you live it can make a big difference to yourself. Can I ask you lastly, um, Colette, about where I started this chat this morning um, with Jackie, that it's not a skill... It's not a life skill we learn no. dealing with grief. Um, but we need to... Un- we can't... We, we, it's, it's going to come into our lives, isn't it? All of our lives. Some, like you and Tommy's case, so suddenly you didn't see it coming. It's going to come into our lives. We all should... We, we need to have more conversations like this. Definitely. And you need to... Like, look... I know I would have been one of the parents. If God forbid, if somebody said to me, so and so down the road, their child died this morning. If I saw them coming towards me, I would have ran. Because I wouldn't have known what to say to them. And so if somebody walks across the road on me, I don't take any notice. But other parents get upset. I don't because I would have done the same thing. Mm. We need, now I talk about Sarah everywhere I go, those podcasts, they've physically drained me and I said no more, not doing any more after the first one. I did the second one. That will be it for me. We need new blood to get the message out there because even though it, it hurts some days, somebody can talk to you about your child and it might be the day you're ready to cry. Even 11 years down the road, that can happen. Mm. But you still want people to talk about grief and talk about, and even for themselves, they will learn. I, I, I thought, and I, I still say it, grieving a parent is, is horrible. Mm-hmm. But grieving a child is the worst. It's unimaginable. So, we, the, you know, the natural flow of life, your parents will die. You'll cry, you'll carry on, you'll die, your children will carry on. But we have to talk and we have to, to, to get people to talk about the grief, any grief, no matter, it doesn't have to be their child, God forbid, and I hope it never is for someone, yes. but yes. 
about any kind of grief because that opens it up for everything. Yes. I have a nephew and he's in his 20s now. And when Sarah died, he was devastated. But he could walk into a room and he would say to us, if I'm sitting there feeling a bit low, you look a bit sad. Yeah, I am. Are you thinking about Sarah? I am. Oh, yeah, yeah, I was thinking of her yesterday. Yeah. And I can tell you now, that child brought me on so much because he wasn't afraid to say Sarah's name and to realise, yeah, she's sad, but no wonder she is. That's, that's, that, that's a fantastically perceptive young Oh, my God. Yeah. It is. And if we can get our youngsters to do that. You know, I when Sarah died, I told her friends move on. Not for me now, and I didn't, I don't mean that in a bad way, but I said, they're too young to be carrying this grief. And you know, sometimes young people, they don't glorify, but they, they cry for a few pints and they're over crying for a friend who died. Yes. They need to move on with their life and remember the funny things and live nicely. I know. And I did say that to them. But afterwards, then a few years down the line, I'm like, why did I do that? Because I don't hear from them. You, you know what I mean? I they're all having good lives, thank God. Colette, I'm but going to have to, to leave it there to for talk to people and encourage them to talk, talk to, to them. Talk to them, yes, please. All right. I'm going to ha- have to leave it there for no reason other than time. Um, thank you, Colette, Colette Griffin. And um, Sarah's 10th anniversary, 11th anniversary coming up in April. I hope that will be okay for you. Sam Wheen and Corton from Anam Cara, who produced the podcast called Conversations in Grief. And Jackie Forlong, who came to us wanting to start a conversation about grief and how it's handled. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Live. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie Cork's 96 FM The lines are live. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. afternoon made this afternoon alright and somebody will win that incredible prize five nights in Vegas flights there and back top hotel money in your pocket tickets in your wallet to see Dermot Kennedy somebody we did great fun here with our qualifiers on the opinion line somebody will go through and win that prize later on today 0818 96 96 96 the number the text or whatsapp 083 396-96-96 and your email is opinion at 96fm.ie Now, just before I get on to other matters I saw this at the weekend kind of with the whole Holly Cairns story another political story at the weekend kind of didn't make much by way of big headlines and that was the decision of Leonie Riada to step away from politics and I believe she has actually left Sinn Féin Ballyvourney, of course, is where she's from. Um, she was an MEP from 2014 to 2019. She ran in the presidential election in 2018. Do you remember that? And I was just thinking, so Leonie is gone now. Bertie Ahern, according to the Sunday Business Post yesterday, Bertie Ahern and Gerry Adams, people won't vote for them 
if their names are on a ballot paper in 2025. So when Nicolty steps down in 2025 after his two terms, who the hell is going to run for president in 2025? I can't wait. It's going to be such fun. He was unbeatable the last time. And even the people running against him knew he was unbeatable. But this time? And I would have thought myself, just as an observer of politics, I thought that Leanne Rita might come back for another go next time out. But she's now decided to pack in. And Bertie and Jerry won't be the won't be the choice. I see Andy Kenny in the paper this morning uh, saying that he has uh, is making a good recovery after uh, cancer diagnosis before Christmas. Happy for him um, to see him recovering. I wonder is that a name that would go on the presidential ballot paper in 2025? I'd look as a politics geek, as, as a politics. Um, binge watcher I guess it is it is fascinating but I know I know a lot of you don't care I know you don't care but I do so more people probably care about Unahili's trouble um, and whether it's still on or off it's off apparently remember we were telling you about this a few weeks ago that um, Unahili was in a trouble with this boxer and his other girlfriend and whatever and there were pictures up on the social media of the three of them looking all very cosy and then he had pictures up of himself with both of the two women looking very cosy and and we were wondering what is a trouble how does it work why would you why would you bother then over the weekend she seems to have Una Healy seems to have deleted everything that was ever to do with that trouble so we take it that the trouble ran into trouble somewhere and is no longer a trouble a thing and that's fine and that's like I said more people were probably interested in Una Healy not being in a trouble anymore it's not a trouble if she's not in it is it? it's not a trouble anymore it's just a couple I read the papers saying Una Healy quits the thruple but you can't quit a thruple once you quit it it's no longer a thruple like I said wouldn't draw it on myself for all the money in the bank however it would appear that thruples and other such things are quite popular these days why on anybody's would you get involved however let me bring in to the conversation sexologist Emily Power Smith and Emily I know that the whole Unahili thing is not what you're here to talk about and that's fine but I wanted to broaden it out a little bit the popularity of truffles and strange relationships because it seems that there's more of them out there Unahili just brought them to our attention but there's more of them out there I mean it seems to be that in modern day relationships one partner is often not enough good morning to you Good morning. Lovely to speak to you. And to you. Um, yeah, what you're talking about is non-monogamy, really, and it comes in many forms. A thruple is one type of being non-monogamous. Um, and monogamy uh, is only one type of, of relationship. It's obviously the one we're all uh, still taught to aspire to, the one that is still considered legally as the only the only kind to have. But actually, historically speaking, you know, non-monogamy has always existed and has always um, thrived for people who it suits. Um, I guess the thing you have to be careful about is uh, not using terminology like non-monogamy or open relationships or polyamory or throuples. Um, 
to describe something that might be coercive or mm. secretive or abusive or, you know, that would be seen as straight out cheating because th there's a real difference between them. And if we don't talk about them, healthy mm. versions of non-monogamy get muddled up with the unhealthy versions of monogamy and everything gets damned when actually, you know, there's space for all sorts of people to have all kinds of relationships if they're done ethically. Yeah. The RSVP had an article recently and you were discussing um, these mm. things and you made a very good point there look an open relationship is fine as long as both people realise it's open yeah spot on because otherwise one of you is stealing for me it's 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 simple to say it's very complicated to feel and to be in it but it's it's basically everybody should have all the information to make fully uh, informed decisions about what they want to do and what kind of relationship they want to be in. So if one of you is going outside of that relationship and you had agreed to be monogamous and you don't tell your partner, you're stealing their choice to stay. And the, the bottom line is they may very well not stay with you if you want to be to, to open up the relationship. Um, but it's the ethical and the difficult thing to do because there's nothing worse than feeling that you've been tricked or lied to, you know, or you've been made a fool of. Mm. Whereas if you just give, give the person the choice uh, before you go outside the relationship, at least you can hold your head a lot higher and say that you were honorable and that you didn't trick anybody. And I think, you know, so for me, it's not about even really about honouring your other person. It's about honouring yourself and how do you want to feel about yourself at the end of the day? How do you want to go forward into 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 your life? Is it yeah. is it as a as a someone who keeps secrets and tricks people or is it someone who does the honourable thing even if it's if even if it's the hard thing to do? Like if John and Mary are in an open relationship and, and John is seeing Susan on the side mm. Mary if she doesn't know about it, that's cheating, correct? I think so, yeah, absolutely. I think the that's same the definition, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. The same would go if it's Mary and, you know, Tom. Yeah, and and, and of course, an open, you know, you want to get geeky about it. The, the terminology is on, on everything is, is quite flexible. So I may be being very kind of geeky about it. But, but, you know, an open relationship usually would mean you go outside of the relationship for sexual encounters, but you don't try and make them romantic or get romantically yes. involved with people. So, um, and if that's what you want to do, both of you might want to do it. Only one of you might want to do it. But it, but again, talking and being really open and transparent is the way to go. And if one, you know, and, and really setting some ground rules, there have to be rules and they need to be adhered to in order for the person who maybe isn't going outside of the relationship to feel respected and cared about. And, and, but for, for those rules need to be, you know, it's not a one-time conversation. It's an ongoing conversation. And really, another way to look at it is you're, you're, you're trying to get ongoing consent from everybody involved, and which means people are allowed to change their minds. Yeah. It's not okay to say, well, you said I could go outside of the relationship. Well, yeah, I did before you did it, but now you've done it. <laughs> yeah, it feels yeah. different. And it it's sounds not horrendously complicated, Emily. It can be, but you know, relationships are complicated. They're way more complicated than we think, but we're way more able for complication than we give ourselves credit for.
you know. Mm. Nothing worthwhile is very simple, in my experience, certainly when it comes to relationships of any kind, whether they're romantic or, or not. You know, we have to work on them, we have to think beyond ourselves, and we have to be honourable. Come back to the, the, the trouble idea for a sec, because one thing yeah. that we're trying, to, we're trying to get our heads around here recently was, like, that's that's three people, so is that mm-hmm. that is that one person being intimate with the two of them, or is this everyone being intimate with each other? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes is the answer. It could be either. It's really there. There are variations on throuples, the same as there are variations of people. So, you know, you might have two men and a woman, and the men may not be same sex attracted, and she may sleep with both of them, and they don't sleep with each other, or they all might like to sleep with each other. Or, you know, the men might sleep with each other, and but it serves her to be in a, in a romantic, loving, non-sexual relationship with, with two men. It's really as varied as you want it to be. Okay. The rules aren't about who sleeps with who. The rules are about communication and transparency. Yeah. It's kind of, it's, that's very different to an open relationship, though, isn't it? Cause... It is, because there's a, lot, there's, there's, a, there's a relationship. It's more of... More of just three people in a relationship so that's more i would i would classify that more as polyamory yeah which is where you love more than one person and that that is it can be different they might live together as a as a throuple that can happen travel together you know socialize together as a throuple or they might choose to only socialize you know in twos and and keep that a little bit more private there are more, more there's more of it going on put it this way than we would know about because there's still a lot of stigma attached to it and yeah. a lot of judgment and a lot of ridicule. So yeah. while there are, you know, while there are people having these relationships, they may not be upfront about it just yeah. to protect their, their own privacy and their right to privacy. So everybody and in a trouble would know each other and relate to each other, but in an open relationship, one may know nothing about another person's third party. Yeah. The, if, Correct about the throuple, and then for for the open relationship, one person may choose to hear and to know nothing about what the other cup, other person is doing. But that needs to be their choice, and that could be one of the rules. Some people have that rule: you're going to go outside the relationship. I don't want to know anything about what you get up to, other than I want to know that you're using protection and you're not getting emotionally involved with them. Maybe there are certain sexual acts you'd rather your person didn't engage with the, the the other outside of the relationship those are the sorts of things you talk about and that need to be flexible and unmovable but if 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 one person goes outside of the relationship and doesn't tell the other they're doing it that's cheating so that's the difference again as and then you said earlier i heard over the weekend knowing we'd be talking about this today I, I, mm. there was a big craze in cork uh, maybe 10 or 15 years ago for swinging and mm-hmm. I don't know, I'm here at the weekend. Does it still go on? Is swinging still, where, does, is swinging oh, yeah. different to polyamory and, and all that? Well, swinging is when couples go to um, events, perhaps, or each other's houses, and they, they switch around with each other. And that can be um, couples. It can be any combination of couples or throuples. Usually, if you go to a swinger club, it would be very unlikely that single men are allowed to enter the club, but single women will be allowed. So it's usually couples and um, and single women who attend those. And it's a very simple reason for that. Single men will often create more trouble or overstep boundaries or 
um, you know, it, it doesn't feel as safe for women to have too many men at those mm. sorts of things. That's just the way it is. So that's how they work. But they, they again, within the swinging community, there's a lot of really great, healthy relationships happening, great sex, loads of fun. There's also, with anything, even with the most, uh, you know, heterosexual married couple, there can be abuse within that. So so within any any sort of arrangement, things can go wrong or things can go right. But yeah, swinging is absolutely uh, a big thing. There's lots of it going on all over the place. Yeah, I only heard Ours that. Ours is full of spicy, spicy, sexy stuff going on. I, I heard. But we just have to be careful about who we tell, right? Because we're yeah. very nosy as a as a <laughs> as a society. We all want to know about Mary and John. I heard recently about a premises, and I won't even remotely say where, but I remember about being told about a premises in Cork where there's a bit of this swinging club stuff goes on mm. and told exactly what you just said, that they would never let a single man in there, man on his mm. own, but they would let single women in there. And I said, isn't that a bit discriminatory? Yeah, to which I got, it is. <laughs> you know, but there again. For, for, re, for, re, for good reason, you know, it's, it's for good reason. Yeah. Um, but that's actually, but, but, someone I was, that's actually going on in a, in a premises in Cork on a regular basis these days. Oh, she, she wouldn't know what goes on behind <laughs> closed doors. <laughs> no, you won't. No, you won't. Closed and, doors and are open, bedroom doors. There's before COVID, there was a big, there was a lot of, there was a big scene in Dublin of masked balls that would then turn into sex clubs or swingers clubs afterwards. People would go and, you know, dressed up beautifully and with lovely Venetian masks and all sorts. And then it would turn into something more uh, Mm. sexual later. So there's, there's a lot of interesting ways into, uh, into, into variety when it comes to sex in Ireland. Okay. We have it all going on, just the same <laughs> as anywhere else. <laughs> Emily, thank you. Emily Power Smith, sexologist. They do they do exist. She's one of them. Uh, thank you, Emily. 0818 96 96 96. I remember years ago, years ago, I was sitting on a Friday afternoon having finished work and I was just ordering pint and I got a text have you had a drink yet from a friend? Uh, no, I haven't. Please don't have it. Please come and get me the F out of here. This friend of mine had gone to an event thinking it was something to do with timeshare or whatever, holiday, whatever, holiday fair, whatever it was. Only to discover it was the flipping swingers party. And he had brought the missus for lunch, you see. And it wasn't that kind of a do at all. Get me the F out of here. <laughs> That's a long time ago now. Emily's website is empowersme.com. Empowersme.com. 0818-969696. People will be writing letters of complaint now to the authorities, but sure, that's what it is. Joe, uh, John was on. He says, what about Patrick Duffy being the Grand Marshal of the Dublin... Well, Bobby Ewing, what age is he now? He must be pushing on. What about Patrick Duffy being the Grand Marshal of the Dublin Parade? I hadn't heard it until now, John. My only problem about it is everyone will wake up the next day thinking there was no parade. Ah, yes, John. That's like the shower and the whole season that didn't happen. Yes, I know. Yeah. Or maybe he'll jump into the Liffey and swim underwater. 
the full length of it, as the man from Atlantis. 73 now. God almighty. 73 is Patrick Duffy. He is to be the Grand Marshal of the Dublin St. Patrick's Day Parade. Have we decided who ours is yet down here? 96 FM. When we were up in Andorra, I filed one of their listeners, girl, I suppose, called Kara, and um, I suppose I kind of followed her around for a few days, and you know, I fancied pants off her. And uh, when we came back, we met up again a few times. You're coming back to me on your 10th anniversary this morning. 10 years four kids all off the back of the fact that we organised the ski trip for you. So you owe me your life, basically. Yeah, you owe me your life sentence. <laughs> <laughs> That's really lovely, Mark. So, is there anything? Yeah. Is there anything we can do for you for your 10th anniversary? Yes, I'm looking for a mug off you for the wife. <laughs> she got one 10 years ago. <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning. You can now order your 231 electric Skoda Enyaq from No DC Cars. Skoda sales dealer of the year. Exclusively Skoda in the city. Oh. Scams, or we were talking about scams earlier on. There's another one going around. Apple Pay. If you use Apple Pay, you get a text message to the effect that Apple Pay was suspended on your device. Please reactivate by visiting applepay.com. That's a scam. That's a racket. 0818 96 96 96. Now, I haven't seen it yet. I'm waiting for my opportunity to see it. But the Debenhams documentary, 406 Days, has already picked up its first award. Valerie Connellan, morning. Good morning. Isn't it great? <laughs> Isn't it wonderful? I haven't seen it yet. This was in Dublin at the weekend. It picked up its first award. It picked up the Humanitarian Award in Dublin yesterday. Um, Gronje, the person that runs the film festival, actually told Joe that he should put it forward for it and they didn't dream that they would win it but they they were called out yesterday and the the prize was yesterday and they got it absolutely absolutely marvelous it's been a long while in the production Uh, it started the filming started really during the protests didn't it valerie no it actually didn't Didn't Um, so he was no, he was writing the Fergus was writing the book, I suppose, during the protest. They actually it's only a year ago they actually started filming it. Okay. Okay. But they had a yeah, lot so of they had a lot of footage from during the during the protest. They didn't had they? yeah, they had they had a lot of the the filming from the protest went into uh, using it, but they needed to rush it to get into the film festival. I see, I see. So how satisfying was it to see it pick up its first as I'm sure will be many awards? Uh, you know what, now, when I got the news yesterday, it was actually very emotional. Um, just to see that people could see what we actually had to go through and what, what happened during COVID and that they recognised it to that extent, you know. Mm. Mm. Wasn't it April 9th, wasn't it, of 2020? If I remember yeah. the date yeah. correctly. Yeah. April 9th of yeah. 2020. Holy Thursday, was yeah. it? Holy Thursday. Holy Thursday, I think so. Yeah. Because yeah. Easter's yeah. the same weekend this year. That's why I That's remember. That's right, actually, yeah. Pretty yeah. much the same weekend this year, yeah. 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 A text message. 
Yeah. 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 So when when will we get to see it now? Is it going on public release or is it just going to be shown for the festival circuit? So we have the festival next weekend. It's on the festival next weekend, next Saturday night. But it's been shown in UCC on the 13th of March. Okay. So um, I did send in an invitation for you. So you do have the invitation for it. There will be a ticket there for yourself and team. Look forward to and, it. Um, I have a Zoom meeting about it tonight then, so hopefully I'll find out more then about the distribution of tickets and stuff. Yeah. Is it made for television length or is it made for cinemas? How long is it? So it's 90 minutes long. 90 minutes long, so yeah. You could... Yeah, yeah. Okay. You know, so... And it had to be that length to get into the film festival. That's right. It's weekend to cinemas, yeah. it had to be, yeah. You could see it yeah. being turned into a, what, two-part television or... Whatever, you know, yeah, hopefully, hopefully, yeah. and because the fact that we're on the, the, the it's been shown till closing night, there should be a lot of distributors there, and the likes of RT will be there, and so hopefully they'll pick it up because they worked hard in it. Joe and Fergus worked very hard at it, yeah. you know. Val, do you remember when I used to go down to you? 50 days, yes, 100 days, yes. 150 days, yes. 200 <laughs> days. Did you ever think you were fabulous? Did you ever think that? It would lead to, first of all, it should never have gone on for so long. But did you ever think that you'd end up part of an award-winning documentary? Definitely not. I wouldn't have thought that there was going to be a book, not a mind, um, a film made of it. And the fact then that it did win the award yesterday, I just like, uh, my life has changed so much to be a part of something like this, you know? How is everybody now, all the people I used to meet? They're all good. They're all good. The majority of people are working. Uh, some people are after picking up part-time work like they wanted. A lot of people have changed completely. Mm. But some people did go back into retail because uh, I'm, I kind of love retail myself. And, you know, we've done it all for so long. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so people seem to be happy out. People good. have took early retirement. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it, I, you know, that kind of with retail being as busy as it is these days, there was there's always going to be work there. But it was just... The trauma of it, of going through it. It was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like, that. I didn't go back into retail because I actually couldn't. I couldn't go through all that again if something like this happened, you know? Yeah. McNugent but, uh, on, he said, Look, looking forward to seeing 406 days, a well-reserved award for Valerie, a well-deserved for all the ex-Debenhams workers. So 13th, 13th of March, it'll be in UCC. 13th of March at 7 o'clock in UCC, yeah. Yeah. I look forward to it. And if there's any other showings or distributions going on, do let us know, won't you, Henry? I will, of course. I will, of course. I'd be more than happy to. All right. And look forward to catching up with everybody on that night. Valerie Conlon, uh, the, one of the Debenhams, the, the person we, I think, spoke to I think, more, most often with regards to, to Debenhams. Yeah, the Easter is on the same weekend this year, bar a day or two. I think Easter Sunday this year is the 9th of April. It was, it is the same weekend. 9th of April was Holy Thursday, three years ago. And uh, they got the text message to say their jobs were gone in the middle of the lockdown. And it led to what it led to. We all know what it led to. And now it's a documentary, 406 days is the name of the documentary, 90 minutes long. It'll be shown in UCC on the 13th of March. And hopefully it'll get get to television and get to a cinema release and it will be seen Far and wide. We, we we took a stand here on the opinion line from day one. A lot of people said we should have been more neutral about it. No, we should not. I stand over the stand we took. Uh, we always believed that the little guy was getting trod on 
relentlessly trod on in that dispute. And I hold that that belief today. And I'm, I'm delighted for them that they're winning awards now. A couple of comments on the chat about grief between 10 and 11, which I will get to before we finish today. But there was, you would have seen pictures of it, a fire, a gorse fire on Mount Gabriel near Skull uh, over the weekend. It is under control now, or so we think, but it, it was fairly hairy and fairly scary. And some of the pictures were were very, very concerning, to be honest. And it was a windy weekend. Christopher O'Sullivan is Fianna Fáil TD for Cork South West. Christopher, is it under control now? Good morning. Morning, Pajari. Yeah, it is... Uh Appears to be appears to be under control. I know that fire services uh, were there all night overnight, but uh, yeah, it, there there seems to be um, incidents everywhere. I suppose from Skibbereen West last night, where obviously you know there was there was gorse clearing going on. Obviously, the period for clearing gorse, uh, either burning or cutting, um, that ends on the first of March. Mm-hmm. So um, whether landowners or whatever felt under a bit of pressure this weekend to get it done, but um, I do feel that's, that's what happened, in particular Mount Gabriel, I was sent images um, and it was it was really startling, you've probably seen them yourself uh, where you have skull in the foreground and then the entire mountain yeah. seems to be on fire be, behind, I was also sent images just from constituents, uh, from Skibbereen all the way west, in some instances the fires were coming very close to people's homes uh, and they were they were petrified, they were, they were really they, they, were, they were afraid um, and that's you know that that's not good enough. I think there's there needs to be a greater degree of responsibility uh, if if this is going on. I know like it, it it's not illegal to to burn gorse during the. Uh, this, this I was period. amazed to learn that Christopher, that burning of gorse is not illegal. If you've ever been close to a gorse fire, you wonder how would anyone have the right to do that. Well, there there's a practice that that, that should be followed when when this happens, and that is that the guardie should be contacted first and foremost. And you assess the conditions, and I think, you know, anybody who has who who, who looks at Met Aaron or who has an app on their phone would have seen that this weekend was forecast to be very windy. And as we know, the you know the most basic science science will tell you that wind will fan the flames and and, and make it worse. And and that's exactly what what happened throughout West Cork. Um, and, and you know, but what really concerns me is is the um, pressure that this will put on our county fire services. I mean, they would have been called from all over the county last night to deal with this. And if they've been called to deal with something that's avoidable, something that probably shouldn't have happened, then, you know, if there's a car incident, if if there's a car accident, if there is a, um, a house fire that they have to respond to, they're not there because they're battling something that got out of hand and got out of control and that shouldn't have got out of control. So we're going to have to put alternatives in place. Look, there, there's new payment schemes in place for farmers that should encourage them to keep bits of habitat, which, you know, is welcome. But as well as that, I suppose we need to support landowners in looking at alternative ways of clearing gorse. There's mechanical methods out there that may be how, how come setting fire, and setting fire to the, effectively setting fire to the side of a mountain is legal in 2023. Christopher, that, that defies belief. Look, there, there's uh, legislation there under, under the Wildlife Act and there's a derogation that allows farmers to, to uh, clear... Um, oh, I know, I know, but I'm just thinking property. setting fire to the side of a mountain in 2023 is still legal. It's, it, it sounds crazy. 
Yeah, there, there would be the majority of landowners, the majority of farmers out there, sheep farmers or whatever their livestock may be, would have done this in, in a very responsible manner and probably wouldn't have done it this weekend. And, you know, most parts of West Cork weren't on fire, but there was far too much that mm-hmm. were. So it's a degree of personal responsibility um, and a degree of just, just kind of having a bit of cop on, I guess. And, are you, are you saying that. you're okay with it being legal? The, the, the derog- if the derogation is followed as it is at the moment, and that obviously it doesn't happen between the first of September uh, for the first of March and uh, the start of September, mm-hmm. and if it's done in in a way that there's consultation with the Gardaí, and not done when it's windy and when it's it just been extreme dry conditions, yeah. uh, then you know it, it it has been done responsibly by people, but certainly this you know we've, we saw the scenes as well in Gugambara, yeah. that could be five six years ago now where there was stories of, of, you know, screams from livestock. I remember, and, I remember that. And again, I asked this, I was asking the same question at the time, how the hell is it legal to burn the side yeah. of a mountain that probably has animals on it? I mean, this could have been such, like you mentioned the lo- people who have houses nearby. Like, if you go down, is it the Collar Road, like there's houses there? Yeah. My God, that that could have, it, a, a smut, as they the call it, or a spark. There's houses up near Mount Gabriel, but I mean, when I, I just know myself, if I was in that situation and I was, you know, and my dwelling was under threat, then I mean, and and you know what, that there are residents in these areas when this happens that they they have to put up with this on a kind of a yearly basis. But it's it, there just needs to be a degree of of cop on here, I think, and a bit of responsibility, mm-hmm. um, and perhaps government need to support farmers in in clearing scrub in yeah. in alternative ways. Like, is there a, is there a way to take it away using? Yeah. Like with, like with a hedge cutter of some. I'm sorry, I'm not a farmer, but is there some kind of hedge cutting device that can be used to take this course away? Well, not, not to be like you. You will find that a lot of the slopes where this happen are very steeply sloping. So you know, you know, it's not something that you're going to get a, a tractor, tractor up there. Yeah. But there, there are these. They have developed a new type of mechanical uh, clearing mechanism where it's it's um, they they can actually cut on quite steep gradients. Um, and perhaps maybe some type of grant aid for that because it could be done in such a more controlled measure. But I suppose the bottom line here uh, is that, you know, we have a scheme now called ACRES. It's it's a it's an agri-environment scheme. It's, instead of penalising farmers for having bits of habitat, bits of gorse on their land, it should be it should be paying them and, re- and rewarding them. So the, the kind of financial excuse, I mean, the, it, it was always the way that... Um, Farmers would have been docked payments essentially from their uh, single farm payment for having bits of gorse and, and bits of uh, within non-farmable land on, on on their land. They would have been docked payments, so that yes. was the incentive before. That incentive should be gone. That incentive is gone now because we have a new agri environment scheme. So the incentive shouldn't be there as much as it was anymore. So that's uh, it, it, it's a policy change. I think we as government need to look at that as well. It needs to be a policy change. But look, I hope no one was was hurt or injured last night and. And um, fair play to the fire services who, I mean, the the, the, the temperatures that they, they, I'd say, have to withstand when they yeah. respond to these types of incidents. I mean, they're, they're they're again showing their bravery and a big thank you to them for that. Okay. All right, Christopher. Thank you. The, thank I'm you. fascinated. The two the two big, I used to call them always, the two big golf balls on yeah. Mount Gabriel. They are still there. Are there any? Are they anywhere near where this happened? Yeah, yeah. So just, I mean, you could actually, in some of the images I saw, you could just make out the, 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 the two golf balls, as you say. I think they're for aviation navigation yeah, or something yeah. like that. But, um, yeah, it, it was quite, it was just on the slopes just below um, those uh, those golf balls, as you described them. So, I mean, it, it was, 
that, that image last night of, of you could see the skull and the seafront and skull just, uh, you know, with, with a blazing fire behind it. It was quite quite scary. And I got sent images from all over of, over West Cork. So, uh, again, hats off to the fire fire department too, who, who responded yeah. so, so bravely. I got one there this morning, actually, of, of it with, with the, is it a hotel down in front of it. A scary, yeah. scary night for those people. Thank you, Christopher. Christopher O'Sullivan, uh, Fate of Faulty D for Cork South West. Mount Gabriel, Gorsford. I didn't know, hey, I don't know everything. I didn't know that it is still legal to set fire to the side of a mountain. Okay, it's not easy to clear it by mechanical means, but to set fire to it, uh, there, yes, there's a safe way to do it. But it just seems to be mad that you can go out in 2020 and set fire to the side of the mountain. I was witness one time to a gorse fire. Thankfully, it had nothing whatsoever to do with me or anyone that I was with. But I was camping one time many years ago with a bunch of friends from college and a gorse fire started uh, maybe four or five hundred yards from where we were camping. And it is frightening to see. It is very scary to see. Now, it was brought under control very quickly. But it just goes up like tinder, particularly in the summer. But because you can't burn it in the summer, but you know what I'm saying. It's a scary thing. 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. I mean, let me clear some of your comments on grief. Um, we had a, a, it was a fairly intense hour between 10 and 11. Jackie got in touch with us and asked us, could we possibly start a conversation on the subject of grief? And I spoke to Jackie about why she's done her own thesis, her own work about the subject of Greece, of grief rather. And then we talked to Anam Kara about their podcast and to Colette indeed, uh, whose daughter died. Um, we've had a couple of emails and a couple of texts and WhatsApps in. Hi PJ and team, many thanks for your time with Sam and Colette on air this morning. It was a wonderful interview, PJ. You showed such empathy and your engagement with both guests was so apparent. Thank you so much. Your support is deeply appreciated. That's extremely kind. Uh, from Karen, from the Anamkara Parental and Sibling Bereavement Support. Uh, they're based in Tala in Dublin. And thank you so much for those kind words. And we always try to do our, our best that way uh, with subjects. They're difficult subjects, but the subjects that, that are worth an airing. And, and thank you. Our baby died 47 years ago in February. I'm so sorry to hear that. I went through a tunnel for a very long while. I adjusted to life for my other kids. But the joy I get at the thought of meeting him again when I pass over is unreal. He brought me to where I am at the moment too because I turned to God for solace. So I'm very lucky to have this joy and to have this peace in my heart. PJ, on that grief segment, I agree we need to talk about grief. I have an eight-year-old... And we talk about it through his experience of loss of his first family pet, our dog who was 12, and my own grandmother. He calls her his old nana. Though he knows, through this, he knows death is final. Although some religions believe in reincarnation. We've spoken about your soul being like the wind. It's there, but you can't see it. He's gone through sadness and anger and bargaining and acceptance through the loss of his pet. All a valuable experience. 
can I take this opportunity to wish a community who know a lot about grief, the rare community, a happy rare day tomorrow, 28th February. Ah, yes, Julie, thanks for that. Over 300,000 people in Ireland live with a rare diagnosis. Individually rare, collectively common. Yeah, rare disease day, 28th of February. Thanks for that, Julie. And Dee says, thanks for coverage of that grief topic. Grief really can be the silent element in the room. And there is no right way and there is no wrong way to deal with it. That is... So it's so, so important. There is no right or no wrong way to deal with grief. All right, we'll lighten it up a small bit to finish up today. This hasn't gone out in telly yet. Um, we don't know where he's going to turn up. Michael Crowley is a chap from County Cork, based in London now. But he will turn up soon on Starstruck, which is the ITV talent show. And it's a bit like Dancing with the Stars for a modern era for a modern audience. And uh, Michael has performed on it recently on television. Uh, we, haven't, we haven't seen it yet, but hopefully we'll, seen it, we'll see it soon. Michael, how did you get involved in it? Good morning. Yeah, so basically um, last year I was on ITV's Romeo and Duet and I think I was spotted on that because I got approached by one of the casting agents from Starstruck. And yeah, I applied and I got through to the live shows and it was just the most incredible experience. I can't, it's literally, I'm like, pinch me. I can't believe it even happened to me. (laughs) Your your episode hasn't aired here yet. I'm not allowed to say anything about it. I'm not even allowed to ask you how you did. We just have to look forward to it. But Mm -hmm. it's a big, big show. You're singing for some big, big names. Yeah, it's massive. I had the privilege of um, performing in front of the likes of Adam Lambert, Shania Twain, Beverly Knight and Jason Manford and Ollie Morris. Right, Shania, Ollie, Adam Lambert, who is the, the new voice of Queen. Like That's nerve-wracking yeah. in itself. Literally. He, I, do you know what? I've actually listened to his music growing up and he, I, he was on American Idol years ago and I've always been a fan and at the moment he's fronting Queen and he's just he's an absolute icon. Like I can't believe it. Like I got a picture with him and met him and it was just insane. Absolutely insane. As a lifelong Queen fan and, and very few people can sing their songs, he can. Yeah. That picture's worth gold anyway. Absolutely. He's insane. He's incredible. The buzz of performing in a show like that. What's it like? Mm-hmm. Do you know what? It's so nerve-wracking. Obviously, there's like so much pressure and you obviously want to do yourself justice and, you know, it's a massive platform. So at the time, like I try my best not to like let the nerves get the better of me and just try and enjoy the experience for what it is and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I just had the most amazing time. Everyone was so lovely. And yeah, to perform on a stage like that was just incredible. Like it was a massive stage and the audience were incredible. And it was just, yeah, I just can't get over it. It was incredible. (laughs) Yeah, it is. No, it's, it's, and looking at the videos of, of Starstruck online, it's, it's a big, lavish show and it's all stuffed into a really tiny studio. That's the thing about all these programs. (laughs) I mean, yeah, like like on, on the TV, it looks massive. But like in person, like it was massive, but not as big as it looked on screen. And we're just not allowed to say anything. And I know that, that this drive, it drives me mad. We can't. But anyway, how long have you been living in London? Because you're, you're, you're working over there for almost full time now. Yeah, so I've been in London the last two years. Um, I'm working as a barista currently. So I do that like as my day job. And right. then I do like gigs and... Um, kind of like live shows at the night time and just kind of get out and gig whenever I can. Yeah. What's it like making a living in London in, in music now? Is the work there? Um, yeah, the, I mean, the yeah, the performance aspect of it is definitely there. Like there's amazing opportunities in London, um, but it's very hard 
money wise I would say to make a living from it unless you're like you know as you as all those icons that we named earlier um so it is very hard to make a living that's why you would need like a full-time job on the side yeah yeah you're, you're looking always for that break absolutely yeah. yeah and is it theater or a recording or a band or performance you'd ultimately like to do what's what is it, what is it you really want to do um, so my dream is literally like to be like these stars that we've mentioned before. Like I've always aspired to be like them and growing up, like I've wanted to be like a massive star. And currently I'm working on my first album that I've been in London producing and working with a lot of different amazing people. And only two weeks ago, I actually released my first single on Spotify. It's yeah. called First Love. Yes, I've got it. It's a great tune. Thank you. Thank you so much. Can I compliment you on the super cool image as well, young man? Oh, thank you. <laughs> Even recording these days, it's so different, isn't it? You've got to rely on things like Spotify and downloads and streams and all that. Getting yourself out there is everything. Absolutely, like 100%. Like, I'm obviously learning because it's all new to me. Like, this is my first song I've released, but like even like to see like the streams that it's getting and like it's been played already in like 19 different countries all over the world and like that's such a pinch me moment because I like didn't think that would happen to me you know I come from a small town in Cork and it's just mad you know the old thing mom they're playing my song they're playing my song in 19 countries I know it's crazy like it's just mad to think that like someone even in the United States like someone in Poland someone like all in just all over the world they're listening to it and you know to know that my song is being listened to by these people and you know, as an artist, you want to kind of go out there and you kind of want, you know, people to like listen to your music and relate to your music. And I feel like this song is definitely a song that everyone can kind of relate to in their own way. You know, you can put your own interpretation on it. Yeah. And obviously I talk about my kind of first heartbreak and stuff like that. And yeah, it's just, it's amazing. It's amazing to finally be out there and have people listening to it. And yeah. I've had it under wraps for ages, so I'm delighted. Well, we wish you well. Look forward to seeing the episode on TV. And I know yours is a name we'll hear more of. Michael, good to talk to you and the best of luck for the future. Oh, thank you so much, PJ. I really appreciate the call. Thank you. You're more than welcome. This is the song... First Love Michael just Michael Spotify Peace the song Not bad we'll hear more on that voice I think and we'll let you know when it turns up on the television so you can watch it it's shown on Virgin Media not allowed to tell you how he did, unfortunately. That's it for today. Program edited by Imar O'Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Thank you for joining the conversation in whatever way you did. And we shall see you all again tomorrow, just after nine. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With the Cork City Marathon. Take on your next challenge this June by running solo or with a team. Register at CorkCityMarathon.ie. Cork's 96 FM. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.